The scripture reading for today is from Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, and chapter 33, 1 through 11. That is on page 20 and, through 20 and 25 on your pew Bible. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my, bro- my brother Jacob. Chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Lee, Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, and Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I found favor in in your sight, then accept my presence from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. This he urged, and and he took it. This is the word of the Lord. The power of Scripture when just, you were just reading that, and I heard somebody come under conviction. (laughs) I'll talk to you afterwards, brother, sister. Or maybe now. (laughs) Oh, man, I love hearing that. Elizabeth Barrett married Robert Browning in 1846. Her father was so strongly opposed to the marriage that he cut off his daughter completely, had no more relationship with her, no more contact with her for the rest of their lives. It's really sad. For 10 years, she wrote letters to him in the hopes that he would correspond with her, in the hopes toward some kind of reconciliation. Every letter she sent over the course of those 10 years got sent back to her unopened. Really pretty sad when you think about that. And really, some of those letters contain some of the great classical English literature. It's just beautifully written. She became, as you know, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the great poet. And many have surmised that perhaps had... The father read just a few of those and seen what beauty of language, and she was trying to articulate this fervent desire to be reconciled that maybe they would have been reconciled if he had written, or rather read, at least one of those letters. When you think about it, this is our letter of reconciliation from God. It contains the great word about our being reconciled to God through the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, some people reject that. Some people reject that letter. But even believers, perhaps like you and me, reject it when we fail to try to reconcile with people with whom we know we could reconcile. 
Someone with whom we've had conflict in some kind of way. Some frustration in some way. Now, this is not easy to preach on. (laughs) And it's not easy to hear. But I pray that we will hear today. I told a student of mine over at Samford uh, the other day, he said, what are you going to preach on Sunday? I said, reconciliation. And he said, well, what's the story? I said, oh, that's when uh, Jacob and Esau are, are reconciled. I said, oh, you know what you ought to do? You ought to show a video of like somebody serving in the armed forces who, who uh, comes back to do a surprise reunion with somebody like at a football game or at a, in a classroom. So, any of y'all ever seen any of those videos? They're really beautiful and moving. And I thought to myself, no, <laughs> that really wouldn't fit. There's a difference between reunion and reconciliation. There's a difference between being reunited <laughs> with someone and reconciled with someone, the latter being more complicated, the latter being a lot less easy to do sometimes, the latter not always being successful, the latter sometimes even being messy. And sometimes reconciliation does not happen, but we are called to try, at least when we know that we could do so, because when we do so, we really are exhibiting the face of God. Now let's unpack that, and that brings us to Jacob and Esau. You know that story. They had sibling rivalry from the time they were in their mother's womb. Later on, Jacob had stolen the birthright from Esau. He stole the blessing from Esau. Esau is incensed. He's upset. Jacob flees for his life. And he undergoes many trials in the process. They are separated for some 20 years. And then it so happens that the two of them are in close proximity to each other at a certain point. And it looks like a a high noon meeting (laughs) is about to happen. High noon meeting. You know, will will this reunion go south or will it be better than expected? Well, let me ask you this. What would be your high noon reunion right now? With whom would it be? Who is that person whom you know you have the capacity to be reconciled with them over something that separated you, whether it's a disappointment or a betrayal, a letdown, just frustration with the person, annoyance with the person? Who bubbles to the surface of your mind and heart when I say that? Your teeth might be clenching a little more tightly. You might be getting something there in the pit of your stomach. But if there's one person with whom you could reconcile, who comes to mind? And the question is, if you know that you could, why don't you? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it thinking, well, that person should make the move first, not me? Is it self-centeredness? You know, if it could happen, don't you realize that that's what God desires of you? Well, our story this morning really offers us some steps toward reconciliation, or in Jacob's case, limping toward reconciliation. First of all, you got to get over yourself and acknowledge your blessedness. Acknowledge your blessedness. Look at chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. When Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men, or when Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men, so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and the children, her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead. Now this is significant. This is chapter 33. And Jacob says, y'all hang here, but I'm going to go out alone to face Esau and these 400 people he brought with him. 
He's going out all by himself. Is he fearful at this point? Is he apprehensive? Is he terrified? No, he's not. Not now, but he was at first. You know, what made the difference? Well, you've got to go back to chapter 32. Let's go to chapter 32, verses 6 through 8. This is when he first finds out about Esau being close by. The messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men! Exclamation point. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and the herds and camels into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. So he's at least threatened. But is he afraid? Sure is. Go to, the, go to verse 11. Oh, Lord, he's praying to God directly. Please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. And so what does Jacob do? And this is so Jacob, by the way, if you read Jacob's whole story. He decides to try to butter up his estranged brother by sending gifts ahead of him. Look at the next passage there. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent the night in the camp. So he's going to try to butter him up. He's apprehensive about this effort at reconciliation. But by the time we get to chapter 33, it's a different story. Initially, Jacob was going to send all these people out in front of him, kind of as a buffer between him and his estranged brother. Now you get to chapter 33, and he's like, I'll go out to meet him first. Y'all hang back here. I'll go out and meet him and his 400 friends as well. He's not afraid. Why? What happened in between? What's one of the best-known stories about Jacob? Let's go to chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. It says, During the night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now you realize later on in the passage, that's no man, who is it? It's God he's wrestling with. It's God himself. And as you know, there's one point where God uh, touches the socket uh, to one of Jacob's hips, and it is wrenched out of socket, and so he's limping and he's hurting, but he clings on to God while he's wrestling with him, even though he's broken, and he knows he's broken. But there's something important that he wants God to do for him. Do you remember what he says? They're wrestling, and and God says, let me go for daybreak is coming. And Jacob says what? I won't let you go until you what? Anybody know? Until you bless me. Until you bless me. Why does he say that? Because this birthright that he had stolen from his brother Esau was, was not authentic. The blessing he stole was not authentic. It was a hollow blessing. Really was artificial, really didn't mean anything. He was needing a true blessing from God. But he had to be broken, didn't he? He had to realize his brokenness. I think that's why his leg was thrown out of socket. But what's so cool is God blesses him, gives him a new name, gives him a new life. Read verses 29 and 30 with me here. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. Now, when you think about it, isn't that our story? I mean, we're in a spiritual wilderness, and we wrestle with God. And at some point, God breaks us in some way. 
so that we might recognize our own brokenness. And at that point, in that point of vulnerability, he gives us a new name, a new life, saves us, and names us as one of his own. It's really the gospel in a nutshell. And before, you know, Jacob had been terrified about facing Esau, but this encounter with God really stayed his fear of Esau. He was no longer afraid. After God blessed him, no longer terrified. Rather than sending out all these others between him and Esau, he says, I'll go out by myself. I'll go out alone. I'll be vulnerable there by myself. What made the difference? Jacob knew he was blessed. And that leads to you and me. Who is someone with whom you could be reconciled, but it's been a struggle? Like I said, you think maybe they should make the first move, or it's uncomfortable, it's scary, uh, it may be a little bit of self-pity, it might be a feeling of victimization, or it might be pride. But do you realize how blessed you are? Just simply how blessed you are. How blessed you are by God's grace because you've been reconciled to God because of Christ dying on the cross. That being so, do you not have the capacity to be reconciled with someone or at least try to be so because of what he did for you? Can you let that undeserved blessing inspire you, motivate you to at least try to make peace with that person with whom you need to make peace? Because really when you do not to do that is a denial of God's grace. To do so is to affirm and incarnate and embody God's grace. Let me, do you think it's kind of arrogant for us to come in here and, and worship and everything and feel all righteous and everything when we have not made the necessary effort to reconcile with someone? You know, Jesus talks about that on the Sermon on the Mount. Well, let, let's look at that. Matthew 5, starting at verse 21, he said, You have heard that it was said, this is the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. That's in the ten what? Commandments, Right? He says, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment? Jesus, what? Now, is Jesus condemning the emotion of anger? Of course not. Jesus himself got angry. He's not condemning the emotion of anger. He's condemning the mishandling of it. What's it say in Ephesians 4? Be angry, but what? Do not sin or sin not, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And if you look at the word there for angry, right here, <laughs> It's the word orgasmenos in the Greek, and it's, it's in the uh, present voice, which, which connotes continuous action. In other words, a very literal translation would, would be if someone is continuously angry with someone. Oh, back where I'm from, we don't say continuously angry. We call that holding a what? Grudge. We call that holding a grudge. I like the New English Bible translation. It's the best. It's anyone who nurses his anger towards it. You ever been angry with somebody to the point where, come on now, where you imagine bad things happening to him and it feels good. Come on, anybody raise your hand. Thank you. Everybody else is lying like dogs, man. <laughs> or something bad happens to him and you go, oh, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> you know. Anybody ever done that? You're lying like dogs again. And we hold that grudge and we feed it, but as Frederick Beekner says, we, we, we have this feast enjoying it but we don't realize that the feast really is on ourselves <laughs> you know it's like what, what do they say it's, it's it's holding a grudge is like drinking rat poison and waiting waiting for the rat to die right i mean it's that kind of thing 
In other words, we're failing to realize how blessed we are. How can we come in here and authentically worship God when we haven't made peace with that person? That's really what Jesus says. Go on to the next one there, just, just the verse later. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, let me put it this way, so if you're coming to church to offer yourself to glorify God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, (laughs) go and be reconciled to that person, then come, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I wonder if Jesus is saying, you know, don't, don't think I'm impressed if you're coming here to glorify my name when you're not exhibiting my face to that person whom you could do so in order to at least try to reconcile with them. And how do you begin to do that? You realize just how blessed you are by the one who gave up his life so that you could be reconciled with the Heavenly Father and have eternal life. Maybe the least we can do is try to reconcile with someone. But there's another thing we've got to do, and this, <laughs> this is the tough one. Lower your pride. How many of y'all have, have, have ever struggled with pride? Okay. I know, everybody, everybody. Jacob quite literally lowers his pride, literally, physically. Look at chapter 33, what is it, verse 3, yeah. Then Jacob went on ahead. This is where he leaves everybody behind to go out to meet with Esau. And he says, as he was approaching his brother, he what? Bowed to the ground how many times? seven times before him. Now, back then, to bow before someone seven times, it was as if you were bowing before a king of an entire country, an entire nation. And he's doing that, what? He's not groveling. You know, he's not groveling in fear. He's no longer afraid. He's doing it in humility. He's doing it in humility and really gratitude because of the grace God had shown him. And now he's taken that blessing as a blessed opportunity to try to reconcile with his estranged brother. It's an interesting thing that happens in between the lines of this story, by the way. You know, God had told Jacob and Esau's mother that Esau would bow down to Jacob. And later on, when Isaac uh, blessed Jacob, because Jacob was stealing the blessing, he said that Esau would bow down to Jacob. Who winds up doing the bowing now? Jacob. Bowing in humility. And he's not fawning in fear, He's a man humbled by God. He's a man willing to bow, lower his pride so that he can be reconciled. And it's so worth it when we could really lower our pride for the sake of being reconciled with someone. Anybody ever heard the, the, the hymn, the old hymn, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross? Did, did Martin Luther write that? I'm pretty sure it was Luther. And uh, uh, how does it begin? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, uh, my richest gain I count but loss. Does anybody know the next line? And Poor, anybody know? Poor contempt upon my pride. Great line. Poor contempt on my pride. When we survey the cross on which glory died for us, on which the Lord died for us, we cannot help, cannot help, but pour contempt upon our own pride. You know, in spite of our sin, our, in our undeserved state, we, we receive this undeserved grace. And we're undeserving of being reconciled to God, and yet he gives us that. We might want to judge somebody as undeserving of our grace and our forgiveness and our reconciliation, but look at what he did for us. If that doesn't bow you to the ground, I don't know what will. Now, you might be thinking of that person, you think, man, I'm not going in that direction at all. You're thinking about that person, and you're getting tight. You know, it's welling up inside, your, your teeth are clenching, and yet that is what Jesus calls us to do. Lower our pride and be reconciled. 
There's a wonderful biography by a man named McCullough who wrote about John Adams. And he talks toward the end of the book about this falling out that uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson had, former presidents of the U.S., both signers of the Declaration of Independence, two of the great leaders of the American Revolution. But they had a falling out because each of them felt like the other had betrayed them and spoken badly of, of the other in public And they just abandoned completely their relationship with each other, abandoned all correspondence, and it troubled some people. There's a guy named Benjamin Rush, who was also one of the signers of the Declaration, who was very troubled by it, and one night he had a dream that the two of them began corresponding by letter to each other, and they were reading each other's letters, and that it led toward a reconciliation between the two. And he wrote a letter, one to Adams, one to Jefferson, and said, this happened, I wonder if it means something. And uh, Jefferson and Adams both responded uh, politely but separately and just went on their way. They were like, okay, that's, that's neat. Well, about three years later, uh, Benjamin Rush one more time encouraged Jefferson to, to write a letter to Adams to try to, you know, to try to reconcile. And again, didn't have email or anything like that, so they had to write letters. And so he wrote a very, how should I put it, a very guarded letter, kind of dancing around the issues, John Adams responded to him same way, kind of real tentative, dancing around the issue. And this happened back and forth a few times until finally John Adams said this. Well, he says that he, in the words of Luther, poured contempt upon his pride. And he wrote to Jefferson on July 15th of 1813, and he said this, Never mind it, my dear sir. If I write four letters to your one, your one is worth more than my four. You and I ought not to die before we have explained ourselves to each other. You know, I wonder if some of us are thinking, are we just going to wait until the other dies before we reconcile? Here are these two guys who were bitter enemies for a time, and yet it was through some guy's dream that they wind up being reconciled. They became friends again for several years until they died, and they died on the same day within three hours of each other. You might know this. They died on July 4, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Very interesting. Now, you and I might not have the luxury of somebody telling us in a dream, you know, need to go be reconciled to this person. But you know what? That shouldn't matter. We should be able to simply lower our pride and be willing to go to that person and at least try to make peace. So what are the first steps? Well, remember how blessed you are, and then lower your pride. I mean, Jacob did so physically. We can do the same. And finally, and this is really most important, be the face of God And here the shift focuses to Esau. Let's look at verse 4 there in chapter 33. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. What parable does that remind you of? The parable of the what? Prodigal son. The father goes out to meet the son who's been living waywardly and with whom he's had estrangement, separation. I wonder if some way, and I don't know this, I just wonder if Jesus might have been recalling that story and kind of refashioned it into a parable. I've just always wondered that. But it becomes a full-fledged reunion after this. They, they, they stand there weeping and everything, you know, and, and, and then the very next verse here, they say, you know, then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, who are these people with you? And uh, Jacob says, these are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant. You know, and, and then Jacob insists that Esau still take the gifts that he sent ahead. But what's interesting is now they are not gifts of appeasement, they are gifts of gratitude for for being reconciled, for Esau showing him this grace. So it really transformed the purpose of those gifts. Think about it, all their lives, Jacob and Esau, they really had the 
the nitroglycerin of relationships. I mean, it was very combustible, and it was always full of hatred and fear and betrayal. But somehow now these two brothers who fought in their mother's womb are now embracing and weeping and making introductions of family members. Do you remember what Jacob said after he wrestled with God before he was reconciled to Esau in chapter 32? What did he say to God at the end? Let's go back right here. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. And then he goes and reunites in just a few verses with Esau, and what does he say? Chapter 33, verses 9 and 10. My brother Esau says, I have plenty. He's saying, you don't have to give me all these gifts. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted because of his gratitude. He said what? No, if I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of who? God. It's like seeing the face of God. He actually saw God's face earlier on, and now Esau is exhibiting God's face because of the grace and forgiveness that he is offering to his brother. And when we have the spiritual maturity to reconcile with someone, with those who might be difficult for us to reconcile with, but we are exhibiting the face of God, the face of forgiveness, the face of acceptance, and of unconditional love. And let me say, that's what this has taught me this time as I've studied this. It isn't just a matter of being nice. It's a matter of being reconciled and showing that you recognize that you've been reconciled to God through the death of Christ, through his death on the cross for you. And not just that, to show the face of God to other people has a missional task about it. Others might see you or know of your attempt to reconcile with someone. And you know what? That makes a difference. Because in the Christian life, our primary weapon is love. Unconditional love. If that person's face, whoever you need to reconcile with, is coming along now, or maybe next time you see them, you know what I would ask you to do? Just image, just image a cross between you and that person because you are equally broken in your own sin and waywardness as that person whom you find difficult to love and forgive and make peace with. Think of a cross right there in between you two, and maybe you can meet halfway at that cross. It's sad when we fail to do it, when it's too late. Reminds me of the 1980s. Patty Davis was the daughter of uh, Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan, and she disagreed with him on every issue, it seems. And and that was no problem, and she used to speak out publicly about it, and, and the president said, you know, hey, as long as she's being respectful about it, no problem, I respect that. But unfortunately, and she, she talks about this in her memoir, that really, it really was nothing more than an in-your-face approach against a dad against whom she was rebelling. As I quote her here, she said, I was a child railing against a parent, nothing more. I was at war with my father. And she goes on to say that one of her biggest regrets was turning down every offer he gave to just sit down with her and talk about life. She never would do it. She became estranged from him, really didn't reunite with him, until after she found out that he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. You might remember that. And she admits that, that she found out that whenever she would you know, rebuff him, spurn him, as far as those efforts on his part to, to just talk with her, it really wounded him deeply when she said no. And so here he is now diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and she said she really didn't get to even to try to reunite with him until after the Alzheimer's had become pretty progressed. And this is how she writes it in her book. She says, I would look into my father's eyes and try to reach past the murkiness of Alzheimer's with my words, with my apology, 
hoping that in his heart he heard me and understood. I think that's so sad. She concluded by saying, I wish that now, all those years ago, I had led with kindness, not with ideological stridency. We are, after all, remembered at the end for how we treat others. You know, and as Christians, you know, we're remembered by how we showed that our lives are reconciled to Christ, you know, through reconciling with others. To me, it's sad Patty Davis never took advantage of that when she had the moments where she could be reconciled. Well, are you living another form of that kind of sadness or maybe a falseness of commitment? You know, it's hard to lower your pride and go make an effort toward that person, make yourself vulnerable to that person, which actually takes immense strength but God can help you do it. It takes strength and spiritual maturity to go and find that person and show the face of God to that person, be the face of God to that person. And you know what? Even if it's not successful, you are exhibiting the face of God and glorifying him by doing just that. Do you have the willingness to do that? Let's pray. Lord, this is all easier said than done much easier read about than than actually executed. Lord, each of us can think of someone right now who's been a source of frustration, annoyance to us, maybe a source of deep-felt pain and woundedness, someone who really let us down in a way that we don't even like to think about, talk about. And yet, Lord, you call us to try, if it's possible, to reconcile ourselves with that person, not only because... It's the right thing to do, and it's what your son calls us to do. But it's a statement of how we realize that we ourselves have been reconciled to you through his blood, through his death. And it's a way that others can see Jesus in us through our face of grace. Help us to be all the more effective at doing that, O oh God. Give us the discipline and the humility to do just that. If anyone here really needs to be reconciled to someone, we pray that they would take that step toward making peace with that person, making that relationship more whole. And Lord, if there's anybody here who does not know you and is not reconciled to you, we especially pray that they would give their lives over to you, that they might be reconciled to you by confessing your Son as Lord of all things. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.